Hi there, listeners. Welcome to the 963 Universal Frequency. I'm your host, Esther Clare, spreading awareness with an open heart, an open mind, living life and being free. Thank you all for tuning in. I really want to give a shout out to all of my listeners that have been supporting the podcast. So thank you so much. And for anyone new tuning in, this is a podcast where you will hear all about other people's perspectives and beliefs. People share their philosophy and it's all about holistic health and well-being, spirituality, religion. We also talk about conspiracy theories. So if you are someone that wants to reach out and share your philosophy, feel free to contact me. My email address is the 963 universal frequency at hotmail.com which is in the podcast description so feel free to contact me and yeah never know you could get the word out there and maybe become the next philosopher of the the modern day age today i've got a fascinating guest his name is david lawrence and we are going to be talking about free will do we have free will? We'll be talking about determinism and how determinism is on the uprise and potentially it could be damaging to to everybody's way of thinking. So David is the expert. He's written the book, Are We Biochemical Robots? So we go deep this one as I like to do personally. I, I like to... to uh, explore these deep and meaningful questions in this episode we talk about neuroscience and quantum physics david shares his research that he has done in in uh, determinism and why he is against determinism so we're going to be hearing all about um, his perspective on this topic as well as myself and he also <laughs> he as we do, uh, this happens to me all the time. I am terrible with names. I I just get a, a, a mind fog and I cannot remember particular things. David forgets the name of a, a philosopher, but he recalls it as soon as we finish the podcast. <laughs> so the philosopher that he is talking about is John Searle. He does these lectures on consciousness. You can look him up on YouTube and he's he's quite an influential philosopher. So that's who he is speaking of when we cannot remember the name or he cannot remember the name of the philosopher. So I will now play our conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Joining me from California, the United States, is David Lawrence, the author of Are We Really Biochemical Robots? This book addresses the growth advocacy of determinism and exposes this flawed way of thinking. Furthermore, the existence of free will. Now, free will, I've always been fascinated by this topic and whether it is an illusion. I would often wonder, are we in control of our decision making and are we influenced by the external factors? And I believe most people have pondered this question, you know, whether or not they have free will at some point in their life. And, and they may have not been aware of it, but they actually have questioned whether or not they've 
been in control of their decision making, especially if you go down that path or, or have some understanding of neuroscience. I, I think it opens up the mind further to explore this belief and, and that of determinism. So you can also go down that road of human programming and rewiring and, you know, reprogramming our brain. And there's that idea that people's biological makeup determines their talents and personality. So it's such a broad field. So I'm so excited to be talking to you about it and that you've written this book. So could you tell the listeners how you came about to writing this book? Sure. It came about quite by chance. I read a book by Sam Harris called Free Will. And I picked it up because I was a Sam Harris fan, so to speak. I, I liked his books. I liked his personality. I thought he was smart and educated. But when I picked up Free Will, I was surprised to see that I didn't think, I had an instinct that it didn't work and that the arguments didn't work. Um, and so I started educating myself on the subject a bit. And the more I learned, the more I reinforced that my instincts were correct. It's just um, not as well thought out, let's say, as uh, Mr. Harris's views on any number of other uh, topics. Um, so I started to think about writing an article based on what I'd learned. And here's here's the five, six, seven problems that kept growing, eight, nine, ten. And then the article kept growing from uh, uh, 10, 20, 30 pages, 50, 70. And then it just became apparent that I really had to write a book. And for those listeners who may not be familiar with Sam Harris, could you tell us what he is known for? Oh, sure, sure. And I would imagine some of your audience would know him. He's a New York Times bestseller. He's written five bestseller books and a number of others. He's a very popular uh, media pundit or media personality. He has a, a wonderful podcast called Making Sense. Mm -hmm. um, he has a wonderful meditation app called Waking Up. And uh, you can see him on all kinds of lectures and discussions and other people's podcasts and his own, you know, on the internet, on YouTube and so forth. He mostly uh, talks about politics, AI, mm -hmm. um, uh, as he says it sometimes, how to lead a good life or how to lead the better life. And this is one of his two books where he sort of goes off into more heady philosophical kind of stuff. He made his claim of fame with a book about uh, and against uh, fundamentalist types of religion called The End of Faith. Terrific book. And he followed that up with a book called Letter to a Christian Nation, which was another terrific book. So I think his original uh, uh, rise to fame came from the stance he took about uh, fundamentalist uh, religious practices and beliefs and uh, sort of expanded from there. I had mentioned I've always been intrigued by free will, whether or not it's an illusion. So I often find myself bringing it up in conversation just to hear other people's responses. And sometimes I get into some debates, which I, I quite enjoy. But I, I, I noticed that many people seem confused. They think determinism is free will and vice versa. They haven't maybe even heard of determinism before, yet 
they think that way. So could you define the two and the, the differences between them? Well, the best way to describe free will is that it's really what common sense suggests and what we mean when we use the term. We have the ability to, so to decide, to think, to take action, to influence the world. And that's pretty much the common sense view. We certainly have influences and uh, uh, hang-ups and all of that kind of thing. But at the core of it, there's something in us that allows us to make a decision, to take action based on that decision. And, and by our actions, we can influence the course of reality. It's not fated to happen. Determinism is the exact opposite. Mm -hmm. Our thoughts are caused by physical force. Our actions are caused by physical causal forces. There's a causal chain that governs everything that happens in the world that goes back to the Big Bang. And that chain started then and it came down the path. And everything we do, everything we think, everything we are, everything that reality is, was determined at the moment of the Big Bang. Now it's just spooling out like a motion picture whose frames have already been set and the uh, the story's been cut together. So everything is predetermined and we can't influence anything. Mm -hmm. We have no influence over anything, including our thoughts and actions and no influence over the world. So as I say in the book, it's really a, a philosophy of, of, of ultimate disempowerment and victimhood. Now it's clearly not cast that way by all by most determinists who who put a lot of spin on what it means and especially what the consequences are, which I, I go into quite a bit in the book. But that's what it is. Ultimate victimhood to causal forces. Mm. See, determinism doesn't make any sense to me because I'm thinking about people who commit crimes, who who are murderers. And for some reason, I'm thinking about the old philosophers from the Age of Enlightenment. You know, I'm thinking about Isaac Newton on alchemy and how he influenced people to think for themselves. He paved the way for, for knowledge. Uh, Dennis de Dietro, he, he wrote, well, he didn't write the book, but I read uh, The Art of Thinking Freely. And even though both of them had a different belief system, one thing kind of was the same. They they both went up against the monarchy. They used their free will to go up against it and share their knowledge with the world. Even Francis Voltaire, mm -hmm. Voltaire, Voltaire, I don't know if I pronounced that right. Well, yep, and him as well. I, I believe he was even the one that had said, as we become more civilized, we become more demoralized and in a way, I believe that to be true in the perspective of people becoming controlled by these influences that discourage or dishearten them from, from reaching their full potential. So it, it keeps people suppressed, these, these influences, and determinism seems to encourage that influences are what determines our reality. So, for example, let's use taxes. Here in Australia, we have to pay taxes because if we don't, we get a fine. And if we don't pay the fine, then we get taken to court and eventually jail. That's if I choose not to pay. So if I use my free will 
not to pay tax. So would this be an example of free will, determinism, or a mixture of both? Well, it, it depends on which camp you're in. The, the, the free will advocates would say that you have the ability to decide whether you're going to pay all your taxes, whether you're going to cheat a little, whether you're going to cheat a lot, or whether you're going to somehow find a way not to pay them hmm. uh, or, or find a nice cozy jail cell somewhere, at least if you have to go to jail. Uh, if you're determinist, you will say that you don't, you're not making a decision. You are just uh, uh, following along with the causal forces that govern the universe. Those forces are what they are because of what happened to the Big Bang as it descended down this chain, this causal chain to the moment, and you had no choice. Whatever, whatever it was you, quote, decided or think you decided, you were following physical causal forces, and you had no choice but to do, but to do what you did, whether it was pay them or not pay them. Mm -hmm. That's the determinist point of view. So... The five big mistakes behind determinist. Okay, well, I'm going to have to narrow down a lot of mistakes to five. <laughs> or maybe oh, just sure. the main three. Main three. three. Let's stick to three. Three is a good number. I like three. Well, okay. Um, I'm not sure I can do three without doing five because they're so interrelated. Okay. But, but you can stop me when you wish. Sure, okay. what, what I'll do is recap them quickly in the order that they appear in the book Free Will. Um, one of them doesn't appear. It's just something that's important that wasn't raised. But the first one is um, Harris has an absolutist notion of what free will is. He says that to have free will, we have to have complete control, complete control, of all the factors that determine us. Complete control would include our biology, our physiology, the, when we were born, who our parents are, what personal attributes we have, the cosmos. I mean, all of this determines us. And according to Harris, free will as a concept means that we have to completely control those factors. Okay, so that's mistake one. Um, the answer to that is, that's nonsense. Um, the distinction isn't made between influence and causation. Uh, Harris's book sort of suggests that anything that influences us takes away our ability of choice. There's no reason that has to be the case. And he suggests, and I think determinists in general suggest that they have this idea that free will has to be unfettered, absolute, unrestricted, or it can't operate. And that's nonsense because we don't even conceptualize free will that way. Free will operates in circumstances. It has limits. It has constraints. It has boundaries. We're burdened with our culture from the day we're born. We're burdened by the belief system that our parents impart to us. But you have to make a distinction between influence and causation. Many determinists, if not most, don't make it. And they think that any bit of influence over something that's important takes away uh, uh, the capacity for choice. There's no reason it needs to. It's not logical. It needs to. And Harris and other determinists never explain why that's the case. 
why there why free will can't be simply what common sense suggests. It's a limited ability. It's mm -hmm. subject to circumstances and constraints. In fact, as I point out in the book, it has to have constraints and circumstances because it has to have a context and a structure to the reality that it operates within. So what I point out really is it's the opposite of what determinists claim, which is that reality has to be structured. Free will has to be limited. The, the, uh, the runner's running shoe has to push against something. And that something is the track. And that track is a limitation. So free will functions on the basis of pushing against limitations. So that's mistake number one. Mistake number two is um, the claims made in free will that we have to know why we do everything. We have to have be able to explain it and we have to know why we do it. And again, the short answer to that is nonsense. There's no reason why we have to know why we do everything. There is a general sense in which if we're going to make a conscious, intelligent decision, sure, we have to know what we're doing or what we think we're doing. Um, but that doesn't mean that we have to do what we choose to do. A distinction isn't made between what a decision actually is and what the reasons are for doing a decision. Uh, the other thing that is not distinguished is we can make arbitrary decisions. I'll go to that movie. I'll go to this movie. Now you can always dig and say, well, I like Westerns and I don't like uh, police procedurals. And one of the things Harris says, well, who knows really why? But you can make absolutely arbitrary choices. You're at a magic show and a magician calls on you in the audience and you stand up and he says, pick a number between one and 10. Okay. You don't have any reason to choose three or four or five. Maybe it was your favorite number as a kid, but that isn't even a reason because you can still don't have to choose that number. All right, you're making an arbitrary choice as an example. There's no reason why a choice requires a decision. So that's mistake number two. Now, there are, there are some choices that by nature require decisions and they do and we know why we do them. Any kind of utilitarian decision that's in furtherance of a goal or a purpose, you pick up a hammer to drive in a nail, that's why you pick up a hammer. Mm -hmm. So there's some idea that, of determinists that we don't know why we do things. Well, there's a whole category of decisions called utilitarian decisions, in which of course we know why, because that's the essence of the decision. You know, you're standing before a microphone because you're doing a, po a podcast. That's the reason you're sitting there right now in front of the microphone. We can explain our actions. So that's mistake number two. Mistake number three is determinism is based on causation. We were talking earlier, there's a causal chain. It runs from the big bang to the present moment. And everything that happens is inevitable. The problem with that is the premise is that causation is real and that it is coherent as a concept. And then it governs the universe in fact. Well, there's all kinds of problems with causation to put it in a nutshell. Nobody's ever agreed on what it means. Nobody's ever agreed on whether it exists. Nobody's ever agreed on what it is, assuming it exists. And then the new scientific paradigms, uh, relativity uh, defined a, a part of reality that is not based on causation and can't be. So mm -hmm. if 
causation isn't going on, what else is going on at that point? Well, something else is going on. There's something else going on in the universe besides causation in accordance with Einstein's theories. Then quantum uh, theory came along and said, well, the universe doesn't exactly run by causation. It, it, it's a probable universe. Now, there's a big footnote to that because there are deterministic, causative interpretations of quantum science. And there's the traditional mainstream probable view of what quantum science is about. But if anything, it came along and poked a big hole or a big doubt in the idea that causation exists, let alone whether it governs the universe. And there's a, a lot of examples I go into from quantum theory and, and from quantum phenomena in which causation cannot be operative. So what what's going on in its place? So that's the third sort of a major area. It all rides on causation. And there's so many problems with causation. So when a, the next determinist comes up to you and attacks the concept of free will and says, as does Harris in his book, it's incoherent. Now you know what to say. Hold on a second. You think free will is incoherent. Let's talk about causation for a second. Mm -hmm. The next uh, number four, and cut me off if I'm, I'm over my three strikes here. Uh, there's a bunch of science. This is actually interesting because it's 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 something you mentioned earlier. There's science tests about the subject. Um, what neurologically is going on relative to when we decide. And Harris mentions three of these. And there's a neural blip in our brain, in a certain part of our brain, fractions of a second before we decide something. When I say decide, I mean having the conscious experience of deciding put aside whether it's real or a hallucination. So there's this little tiny neural blip. And then about a third of a second later, that's what I'm going to do. And then about two tenths of a second later, they make the movement, whatever it is in, in these tests, flicking their finger or wrist or whatever it may be. Um, and as it's presented in free will, it's clear that this shows that this little blip in the brain, a third of a second before the conscious decision makes our decision for us. So we're determined by neural activity in our brain. <clears throat> when I first read this and I first read free will, I was pretty struck by this because I said, this is, this is a tough argument to get around. Wow. You mean every time before we decide something, there's this little bit of increased neural activity in our motor cortex. Wow. That's that must be what's causing our decisions. I thought this was terribly troubling. And it was the one thing that sort of went, that I could give some honor to that went against my initial instincts. But then I read the tests. <laughs> <laughs> and as it turns out, the tests don't say that. The tests don't even conclude that there's a causal relationship between that little blip and our conscious decision. Uh, so that's number one. The authors don't even endorse the principle that free will is citing it for. None of them conclude that they, it, it demonstrates a causal relationship. And one of the authors repudiated his earlier tests and decided that it did not mean that at all. And that his subsequent tests had to do with the fact that we could have free will, even though there's, we go down an initial track, we have a last moment chance to 
to change our minds based on free will and not based on the neural activity in our head. And one of the other authors, both of them really said, don't, don't take this to mean that the problem of determinism has been demonstrated or proved or solved. And in one case, it's just clear that it hasn't been. The problem, in a nutshell, the problem with the test is that they found at best a correlation and a correlation is not causation. One of the tests was at 60%. And the test authors themselves said, this is barely above a coin toss. Uh, the relationship between this little blip and our deciding to do something. Well, 60% doesn't prove anything. You've got to be close to 100%, if not 100%, to have a cause always follow its effect because it's a necessary connection. The only reason it wouldn't be 100% is because we don't perhaps know all the conditions that might slightly vary that we're not picking up or there are testing uh, issues in terms of accuracy and so forth, but it's pretty close to 100%, if not 100%. And the other test found things in the area of 60 to 80%. Uh, and there were some problems with the 80% the tests that, that I won't go into, but you can read about them in the book. So not only did the authors not endorse that these tests proved that there was determinism, um, the test results were, were Ex substantially less than causal levels. So the actual test data, if anything, proved that there was no causation. The other thing I learned when I was investigating this, that there's dozens of tests that Harris didn't mention that discredit these three tests that he does mention. The biggest issue is that you can't tell uh, with any precision the moment that somebody actually decides. You have a test subject, they have a set of instructions, they're ready to move their finger, they're watching a clock or a timing device, they have to note when they were making the decision relative to, to the time of the clock, they have to remember the rules, and have a number of other distractions come about, they have to ward off the distractions. So they got a lot of things on their mind to be able to say with any certainty, within a third of a second after that bleep. So there's a lot of tests that study that and say that the central measurement in these tests, the time frame between the blip, let's call it, and the conscious decision, let's call it, can't be measured. Well, if you can't measure the central uh, measurement in the tests, the test data is no good. It doesn't demonstrate anything. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, Harris cites this in a footnote that there's serious problems about timing the conscious decision. He cites it for the proposition that uh, we don't always we we don't know when we have free will. It's unreliable. Uh, we think we're deciding something when it turns out we're not. It was off. Our timing was off. So he cites it to show that free will isn't reliable. But he or our feeling of free will isn't reliable. But the double-edged sword he falls into is that he's discredited the central measurement in the test that he's citing for the proposition that determinism is true, but what we think and do is determined by neural activity in our brain. So even he has, has perhaps unbeknowingly discredited his own tests. And then there's a bunch of other science tests that attribute other causes to a more uh, direct correlation between that conscious feeling and so forth. 
So bottom line is that there's a whole line of tests that discredit the three tests he mentioned. And the three tests he mentioned don't prove what he says they do. And his authors don't even agree with how he's interpreting the test. Um, I guess the final uh, five, and I, I've gone two over my quota. I think, so yes, you that. have. <laughs> <laughs> but the final, the final one is important. So if you can give me, uh, indulge me for a second, it's kind sure. of a mind blower. The, the final one is that determinist principles are all contradictory. They make no sense. They contradict themselves. And, and here's how it works. In a causal universe, in the kind of universe the determinists envision, there is no such thing as truth. Truth does not exist. You can't say that anything is true. Why is that? Because if the world is determined, everything we think we think because it was caused by physical forces in a chain of forces that go back to the Big Bang. That's why we have the thoughts we're having right now. That's what you're thinking, whatever you may be thinking about what I'm saying. And that's why I'm saying it and thinking that there's some validity to what I'm saying. Okay. So that means that everything we think about what's true. Oh, it's daylight out here. Oh, I'm a male. Oh, I'm over 60 years old. Oh, I have two feet. doesn't matter what it is. We're not thinking any of this because it's true. We're not believing in these ideas because it's true. We're believing them because we're caused to believe it's true. Mm -hmm. That decimates the notion of truth. You could never know what was true if our thoughts were all forced upon us. Causal forces want us to believe that we have three legs, then we have three legs. They happen to be making me believe, let's say I'm a determinist, that I have two legs. But I don't have two legs because five minutes from now, for all I know, causal forces might be making me believe that I have 14 legs. So there's no such thing as truth. And here's the irony. The determinists are declaring what's true. Determinism is true. Causation runs the universe. It's true. We don't have free will. That's true. The world is determinist. That's true. And every single one of those statements is false and cannot be made by determinist principles. Because by determinist principles, you cannot say, I'm a male. All you can say is, I'm being caused to think I'm a male by causal physical forces that were put into play back at the Big Bang. That's all you can say if you really want to be faithful to determinist principles. Can't say you're a male. You can't say anything that, that we call a truth claim because there's no such thing. Truth is based on causal force and you have nothing to do with it. You have nothing to do with what, what you think is true. So apply it to determinism. Determinists are determinists because they were causally compelled to be determinists. They were causally forced to believe in determinism by physical causes in the chain that goes back to the Big Bang. They had no choice but to be determinists. These are all determinist principles I'm giving you, okay? Mm -hmm. yep. They had no choice to believe that determinism is true. So you can go on. In other words, it's determinist principles undermine 
determinist principles because they undermine all truth claims and all pronouncements that anybody can make about this is what's true. Mm. If you really want to be true to determinist, you can't say that. You got to say this is what you are caused to believe is true at this particular moment in time. That's got me thinking about those who had or are having unfortunate childhoods, born into poverty, abuse, or perhaps orphaned. And I suppose a child could go either way if they have been born into a negative environment, perhaps the worst you can think of. So that child could grow up Mm -hmm. to be the most awful, cruel human being imagined, or the child could be so aware of the environment and how morally wrong or unethical the circumstances are that they grow up to say, I'm not going to be a victim. When I get older, I'm going to have my own family and I'm going to raise my children with love and compassion, or they make a name for themselves and become successful and wealthy. So I feel that it is dependent on the child's mindset to some degree. It can either choose a negative or positive mindset. And also I feel as Mm -hmm. if determinism Mm -hmm. implies that if we are born into a particular Mm -hmm. lifestyle, such as born into wealth, then this was preordained for you and lucky you. (laughs) And for someone who is born into poverty, then that is their fate. So deal with it. So sorry to all of those third world countries, but deal with it because that's your fate. Am I making any sense in my analysis? (laughs) This is the difference between confusing influence and causation. We are influenced by dozens and dozens and dozens of things, by our wealth, by our economic class, by our language, by our country, by where we were born, by our biologies. We have a huge number of influence. We don't come into the world and developing choice uh, out of a vacuum. And we're susceptible to all kinds of influence. We're susceptible to influences we don't know about. And we look back, oh my gosh, that was really influencing me. So we have unconscious influence. But influence does not mean determined or cause. So to go back to your example, you can be born at any economic level. And you can do even better. You can go bankrupt. You can uh, wallow in... Uh, victimhood that you're fated to be poor or you can make Mm -hmm. something of yourself and buck the odds and uh, succeed economically it's all a matter of is it an influence or within all the sea of influences do we have the ability to use those influences to work off of them and influence our destiny independent of all those influences perhaps independent is isn't the best word let me say regardless of -hmm. all those influences can we have a say in our own destiny so if you look at all of that stuff as influences and there's no reason to believe they're not and if you don't think that free will has to be absolute and there's no reason to think it does we're Mm -hmm. situated within a whole panoply of influences And some of them are really hard to fight and some of them are easier to fight. Mm -hmm. And, and we also get lucky breaks and non-lucky breaks. And those are things that that, that are not within our control and things that we deal with well, or we don't. 
Is that so determ- de- would, would a determinist think, well, no, 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 that's just your fate. That's been preordained for you. Is that how a determinist exactly. would be thinking? Exactly. So then I, I brought this up before, I uh, mentioning murderers, people that commit murders. It, it, for me, would a determinist think, well, then that was what they were designed to do. They were preordained to to do that, to come onto this earth and murder people. So then maybe we should just let them off the hook sort of thing. That's sort of how I kind of, not saying that that's what they're saying, like let them off the hook, but I kind of feel like what's the point then if mm. we're going to convict them and put them in jail because that was, we're telling people that life's determined. So mm-hmm. nobody should really be punished for any decisions or any actions that they make, right? Am I, am I understanding this correctly? <laughs> You're bringing up the biggest dilemma that determinists have, and it's the issue of morality and responsibility. And, and, and you're, you're having the intuition that, wait a second, if we don't choose anything, if we're totally at the whims of causal forces going back to the Big Bang, how can we be responsible for anything? And if we can't be responsible for anything, how can we punish wrongdoers and attribute uh, responsibility to them when in fact we should be going after and putting in jail a bunch of physical causes a bunch of movements of subatomic particles and 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 uh, neurological synaptic connections and activity because that's what really made them murder if you're you're a determinist so this is the problem of responsibility and morality and you're exactly right um there's a conflict there's a direct conflict between being responsible and living in a de- the determined world that the determinists say we live in. And the answer is you can't be responsible and you can't have personal responsibility and there can't be morality if you don't have any control over what you do, if you don't have any control over what you think, if you don't have any control over your intentions, how the heck can you be responsible? How the heck can you follow any moral principles? How can there even be any moral principles if everything that comes into our head is just an aftershock of various causal forces? So the determinists have a real dilemma because nobody wants to say whether you're determinist or not, yeah, there is no personal responsibility. Yeah, morality doesn't exist. Yeah, he had no choice but to commit the murders, so he had no choice. He's not responsible. We can't hold him responsible. We can't blame him because blame assumes that somebody had some uh, control over their actions. Mm-hmm. So how did the determinists face this problem? That's the question. And the answer is they do a bunch of spinning and fancy dancing. I have a whole <laughs> chapter called Morality and Biochemical Robots. Basically, they ignore the problem. Um, they talk around it. And all of a sudden, they become free will advocates. An example, um, a famous um, uh, physicist says, yes, we're determined by what happens in our brain and eight to 10 seconds before we decide and do what we're gonna do, our brain has done the neurological activity that tells us to do this. And then, this is a real person, no names. Um, uh, 30 seconds later, the same person says, well, you know, over the years, however, we have developed the capacity for self-control. So we can self-control and, you know, we can 
judge people by how much self-control they, they exhibited. Now, you can't say that under determinism. We don't have mm -hmm. self-control. If we think we do, that's a thought that was caused by physical forces like every other thought. There's no such thing as self-control under determinism. So here you have a determinist who in two seconds, right after she proclaims that everything we do is caused, says that we have self-control. That's some fancy dancing. What she's really done is she's, she's become a free will advocate for a few seconds dealing with the issue of responsibility because she's saying things that make absolutely no sense and contradict the, the way a determined reality works. You don't mm -hmm. have self-control. That's what a determined world means. There's no such thing. There's another uh, very famous uh, evolutionary biologist. And by the way, all these people are smart, educated, terrific people. But you have to do a fancy dance if you're a determinist and you don't want to admit that there's no such thing as responsibility. So they're forced into it. The biologist mm -hmm. that I was uh, about to mention says we are neurally determined everything we think everything we do is because of neural activity in our brain and if you show me a neuron that fires we can trace that back to a prior neuron that fired and we can trace that back to a prior neuron and he says show me the neuron that just fires on its own no such thing and when you show me that we can talk have a serious discussion about free will two minutes later not even two minutes later 30 seconds later he says no that doesn't mean you should let murderers run around. We have, we have to lock up murderers, right? I mean, after all, if you have a car on a highway and it's not functioning, you have to take that car off the highway or take it to the garage and fix it, right? So of course we can't let murderers run around. Well, as with the first case, he's suddenly become a free will advocate. Really, we can lock up murderers? We can't let them run around? Who exactly is going to not let them run around? If all of our actions have been determined at the Big Bang, who are we to decide? How can we decide who's a murderer, who had an excuse, who didn't have an excuse, who are the dangerous ones, who, who will never do it again, who will do it again? Who is the, who's going to lock them up? Who's going to decide how to lock them up? Mm -hmm. Well, we have to have free will to do that, don't we? And then you go to his illustration about the car. Who's going to decide whether to take the car off the road or fix the car? Who's going to fix the car? Who's going to put the car back on the road? So all of a sudden, he's talking about a scenario just like the first person with the self-control fantasy in the middle of causal land. All of a sudden, he's talking as if we had free will. Well, we can't take murders off the streets. We can if we're caused to. For a cause to do nothing about it, we'll do nothing about it. But don't talk all of a sudden like we have free will and this is what we ought to do and we have the capacity to do it. Harris does the same thing. Um, uh, the fancy dance is that he talks in one case about being determined and then immediately says, oh, human beings, of course we can plan for the future. Excuse me? We're living in a causal universe? We can plan for the future? Well, we could be caused to think we're planning for the future. That's what determinists would say. Now you're saying we can plan for the future hmm, in a causal universe. So I have a whole chapter that sort of compares the, the principles of a determined world as articulated by determinists and determinists fancy dancing about things that 
only applied to a free will universe. And they're used to finesse this issue of why there's no personal responsibility in a causal universe. And they're used, in my opinion, to make people more comfortable about the idea of determinism. Well, after all, you can plan. Well, after all, you can make yourselves a better person. You can't do any of that in a, in a causal universe. So I call it free will speak. The idea that it's, it's, it's you know, using the free will terms for a universe of cogs and machines and mechanisms so that, that, that's basically it. The bottom line is, if everything is determined, you can't be personally responsible. Go back to the very first thing you said launching into this topic. You can't blame a murderer for what he did. He didn't do it. Not right. if it was determined. My mind is exploding right now with so many thoughts. Do you know Joe Dispenza? I don't. He's a neuroscientist, researcher, and he's a believer in manifestation. So he believes in empowering people to change their environment internally. And he uses neuroscience, epigenetics, and quantum physics to rewire and reprogram our body to improve our health, mind, and just creating an overall better health and that we can cure ourselves from mental illness, health problems, even self-sabotage. So we can do that all with our thoughts. So finding root cause of an issue, usually it's an experience that we have had in our past that has caused or influenced a negative response within our body's DNA. So it's really about changing our DNA. And um, I'm really brushing the surface, so interrupt me if I'm rambling. No, and I just just to frame it, you're talking about, I believe, you can correct me if I'm wrong, the fact that we are we can have free will and be subject to a huge number of influences. And that's I think what I'm hearing from you is influences about that get us ill. And so forth. I mean, we have all these influences and, and, and it's fair to call them programming in a sense. And so to get well, we need to improve ourselves. We need to take the initiative and use our free will to do so. You know, determinism sounds a little dangerous, putting it mildly, but I, I, I do think it is necessary to have this concept for people to recognize what's right and what's wrong. And, you know, you, you can't have black without white and you can't have white without black. So determinism is sounding a little dangerous to me. Call me bias, but I'm a, a free will advocate. I hope. I believe I am. <laughs> is it bias or were you convinced by the brilliant arguments that I made? I don't think it's bias. <laughs> you know, I went to a Catholic school and I always questioned the Bible and it always goes back to that that story of Adam and Eve and the serpent and how he offers Eve the apple and then she tempts Adam. And, and there's so many interpretations of the moral for that story, but I always saw it as the serpent making Eve aware that she has free will and that she has consequences as well. She... She actually didn't seem to think that it was a bad idea. She wanted to be like God because she loved him so much and that she didn't see there to be anything wrong with that. And inevitably God kicks her out as well mm -hmm. as Adam and they both had to deal with the consequences. Mm -hmm. So I feel as if that story is really about 
taking responsibility for actions, free will, understanding right from wrong, what punishment mm -hmm. is. And so influences are obstacles that we need to face to understand free will. I could decide I'm not going to work. I'm not going to go to work today and I'm going to sleep in. And I've used my free will to to rest and just chill out and 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 not work for anyone so yes you you've accepted intuitively and intellectually that influence is not causation right that that, that whatever influences you have you have a job you need money you have a boss who discourages not coming <laughs> in and taking sick leave and you can still decide with all those influence and you maybe have an ethic that you really can never stop working you have a billion influences, but but your your intuition, it's the same as mine, is that you can still uh, uh, have decision within that huge maelstrom of influences. Now, sometimes you have a tiny little bit of, of power and ability to decide, and sometimes you have a lot. It fluctuates and it varies with the kind of thing it is, the kind of circumstances mm -hmm. you're in. The other thing that I find striking that your intuition is right on the mark that I want to go back to is that you said that determinism is dangerous in a way, and it is dangerous. And I want to articulate that for a second because it highlights the reason why the debate's important. You're a victim. You're a victim to circumstance. You're a victim to causes. You're a victim to physical events. You're a victim to the play of subatomic molecular activity and all of that. Nothing you can do about it. So it preaches ultimately mm -hmm. victimhood. And it, it pre it's a philosophy that says, says you can't yourself take the initiative to do the various things you've been talking about. You can't rise above economic diversity. It'll happen if it was fated to happen. It'll happen if causes make it happen, but you ain't doing anything. You can't do anything. So it's a, it's a philosophy of mm -hmm. defeatism really and victimhood. Um, and that's in part why I think it's, too bad that most of the uh, new media personalities are determinists. And I think I know why or have a s sense of why, but there's very few champions of free will out there. Um, there's a few. Um, and uh, uh, But they don't predominate the airwaves or the equivalent of the, the airwaves, <laughs> the video waves, <laughs> the media waves. Um, and it's a philosophy of defeatism. It's against initiative. There is no personal initiative. It's against rising. I say against. It, it, it does not permit rising above circumstances. You will or you won't. Depends what was predetermined. So it, it's really sort of reduces us to a state of helplessness. And, and why deter, while determinists can do the fancy dancing, Oh, well, but we have to lock up murderers. Oh, well, we have to fix our broken human cars. Oh, well, we can self-control. Asterisk, how the hell can you do that if we're cogs in a mechanical machine of the world? Um, all the fancy dancing uh, doesn't get over the fact that we are victims to causal activity if we're determinists, and there's no such thing as personal responsibility. And what that's doing is putting out into the world the concept that we're victims. All the fancy dancing about fixing cars and self-control are only sort of putting a, a misrepresentational gloss 
on a philosophy of victimhood. You can't control your fate. Causes dictate that you, you know, become the next big this or that. Why not your efforts that are going to do that? You have no say in what happens. So it's putting out there, I think, a very destructive idea. I mean, I, I, I posed the question somewhere in the book, what would it be like if, if we taught all of our kids that they had no responsibility for their thoughts or actions, that no matter what they did, they weren't responsible for it? No matter how bad they behaved, they couldn't help it. They couldn't do otherwise. All right. So that would be teaching kids what's honestly the case as determinists believe the world works. What kind of world would that be? And that's a way of conceptualizing the destructiveness of what framing human beings as biochemical victims of causal forces would do. You mentioned that there isn't many advocates for free will and you felt that the number of determinists is growing. So who else would be a philosopher or an influencer of this belief? Well, I think all throughout history, um, you've had two camps going of a sort at various times and places. You had mentioned Newton. Uh, Newton wrote, I think, in the 1700s, around the turn of the uh, 18th century. Mm -hmm. And he laid, he laid the ground rules for modern causal thought. He really established mm -hmm. the modern principles of causation in his three laws of motion. So everything uh, that's called classical physics is derived from Newton, and it's all based on a mechanical universe. Um, at that point in time, the age of reason and the age of science started to come into its own. And at that point in time, the value shifted towards a rational scientific basis. So from that point forward, at least in the West, um, uh, causation became the focal point of how to conceive of how reality works. It's a scientific outlook. And I think it's in large measure responsible for the fact that most uh, folk are, are determinists. Sam Harris is, a, I think, a, a neuroscientist. And uh, some of the people I've quoted are biologists and physicists. So there's a very strong influence of the scientific outlook. Um, I don't know early Greek philosophy enough to tell you how who was a determinist and who was a free will advocate. Um, I do go into the definition of causation in the book as it's come down through the ages to prove a point that there's so many definitions of causation and nobody has agreed on it throughout history. And in contemporary schools, there's five or six thoughts that are arguing about what it means. It means completely different things. Uh, to each of these schools, the point again being that if you're going to rest a whole found, uh, a philosophy on a term and a principle called causation, you better be sure that it means something. You better be sure there's some kind of reasonable consensus about it. And you better make sure it really exists. And these aren't questions that determinists go into because they adopt a sort of Newtonian scientific outlook. They just assume, oh, causation. Everybody knows that's a real thing. We can bank on that. And um, you can't. Um, so I don't, I, I don't really know how the tides, you know, turn throughout history when the scholastic period took over and, um, you know, the religious, uh, sentiments became the day they were very much, I believe, though I'm not an expert in this area, 
they, they kept the concept of free will alive because it's very much related to the concept of God and souls and original sin and uh, made in the image of God. So there was that pre-Newtonian, to some degree post-Newtonian, there's all flowing currents at the same time, uh, sense that were, was a big part of, you know, the free will uh, mm -hmm. cause, the spiritual yeah. aspect of it leaning towards free will, the scientific aspect of uh, these currents um, promoting determinism. So they've always been around as far as I know, um, just weaving in and out of each other in various ways as the, you know, the zeitgeist changed from epic to epic. How can people see through the illusion and that free will does actually exist? What does a person need to experience or understand that mm -hmm. they don't have to live a preordained life and that they are in control of their decisions. Mm -hmm. Well, in the intellectual sense, they should read up on some of these issues that I've highlighted um, that all prove that, you know, there's a, a few additional arguments that I wasn't, uh, didn't go into in the book, but, 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 they should do, uh, they can do a little studying and of these issues and realize that determinism makes no sense. It's, it's, it's based on a premise that's shaky at best. And there are all these conceptual problems and um, uh, modern science uh, brings a lot of problems to the table. It's contradictory in a logical sense that I've mentioned. There's so many problems that whether or not that they agree, whether or not there's the issue of whether we have free will, it's pretty clear when they start researching all these problems that it isn't a deterministic world. You just can't, it just cannot be justified. So that's one uh, sort of the intellectual approach to realizing that there's so many problems with determinism that it just can't be true. And, and there's no real credible argument that it is true. Um, that's the intellectual way in. Um, I think the intuitive way in is what I got in initially reading Harris's book and what you instinctively went to as well is that this is what we are as humans and we want to think of ourselves as victims okay it's kind of like a ready-made excuse for all of our frailties and um, we all have them and our shortcomings and we all have them and in a way determinism is soothing because it says hey you didn't do it you know, they had to do it. It was faded. Um, so there's some comfort in the excuse of determinism. You know, if you think of it that way, um, it's it's the greatest excuse ever told, <laughs> <laughs> uh, as opposed to the greatest story ever told. It's the greatest excuse. Um, but to follow that intuition that you, you want to be a victim, you want to look at yourself as a victim, um, it's not very empowering. It's not very healthy. I mean, you might say, look, if we don't know, and the question is out, the jury is out, the answer isn't known for sure. Well, which is which is more productive, which is more beneficial, which is more helpful, which which will help you more grow as a person, spiritually, uh, economically, socially, uh, on whatever level? Well, clearly, it's going to be more helpful to think that you aren't fated to do whatever the uh, the causal cogs say you must do that you have the ability to influence your life or as you said reprogram yourself mm -hmm. if you think you can't well what does that say it sort of can permeate your system in a defeatist kind of a way 
So one thing I think on the gut level is to follow that intuition that that's not what human beings are. And in fact, when you think about it, I mean, are determinists really determinists? No, they are when they're intellectualizing and talking about the subject in their philosophy class or to their to their colleagues or what have you. But when they get out of bed, you know, they decide what to wear for the day, what color tie to put on, what they're going to have for breakfast. Are they going to skip breakfast? Are they going to mm -hmm. rush to work? Are they going to listen to that Australian podcast for a few minutes that they've been wanting to get to by this author who wrote this crazy book on free will? <laughs> so from the moment they get up to the moment they go to bed, they're making decisions, right? They're, they're acting out the human drama. Um, so for 15 minutes, perhaps when they're called upon, they pontificate about how we're nothing but causal machines, biochemical robots, but that's not how they lead their lives. They don't believe it. In other words, they may believe it intellectually while they're focusing, but they don't believe it in the real sense of belief, right? That you act, this is what you, what you are, this is how you act. And that's what you believe. And they're, they're, they're really at heart free will advocates and they jump to it as I was illustrating earlier, the second there's a moral question. Mm -hmm. um, so to go back to your question, I mean, our intuition is that's what we are. And if you do a little reading and you realize that determinism has so many flaws that that ain't the right path. Mm -hmm. And there might be another that we discover at some point in the future partially or totally based on a physics principle that we just don't understand that isn't yet available today. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, we got to go with that. And mm -hmm. once you've got to go with that, because you got to know what pajamas to put on before bed, well, then you may as well go to that and figure out what is the best job and act like you had free will and figure out what's the best job that I take? What's the best thing for me to do in this circumstance? What would be the best mm -hmm moral principle that I would be proud to live my life by. Would you agree that morality, moral beliefs and values originates from religion or spirituality? And are they essential or fundamental in understanding free will? Do we, do we need to be religious or spiritual to understand free will? Well, that's a complicated topic and it, and to some degree depends on what you mean by religion or spirituality. But I would say the basics of answering that question is the famous is-ought distinction that David Hume made famous in philosophy, which is that is 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 and ought is ought. And the world of facts are one thing and the world of moral truth and morality and what we ought to do is another dimension. And that's, I think, as I'm presenting it, the parallel of what you would say, spiritual or uh, religious, it's not physical, it's not fact. And the famous formula is you can't derive an ought from an is. You can't look at the world of facts and say what's moral or what's ethical or what you ought to do because it's a different realm and it's a realm of values. And you can't look to scientific fact. You know, this is how these electrons behave when you zap them with this energy. You can't look to that kind of stuff or anything else to derive moral truths and what would be the right thing to do. It's just in a human conscious dimension or a spiritual dimension. So um, in that sense, a spiritual 
non-physical, non-material outlook about what the world is. And it's a non-scientific outlook because science is basically a materialistic uh, view of things. Um, would support and be in line with the concept of free will. That's brilliant. Humans are creatures more of sensitive and practical sentiment than of reason. Love it. But now for the big question. <laughs> Did you use your free will to write the book Biochemical Robots? By the way, I, the title came from something Sam Harris says in his book. He says that we're biochemical robots. So when I went to think about a title for this, I thought, well, that's the question, isn't it? Are we biochemical robots? And that became the title for the book. Um, I think I use my free will um, because, again, I know that the concept of determinism and causation is fraught with problems, let's say. Let's say we don't quite say that it's nonsense or it doesn't exist. Let's just say it's highly problematic. It's the most diplomatic way, I guess I could put it. So what does that leave? I mean, uh, we all feel like we make decisions from the second we get up to go to bed, day after day, hour after hour. So I believe I did. I don't, I don't have any evidence for the fact that I didn't. Um, the, only, the only hard evidence I think you could cite, and Harris cites it, and it's only evidence to a limited degree, is that science doesn't know how it works. It's a mystery. But science has a lot of mysteries, as I point out in the book. And that you can't, the, the argument that be, it doesn't exist because science doesn't understand it, it's a pretty silly argument. It takes you down a perilous path because the, the Big Bang didn't exist, really. Um, uh, I, I, I make a list of a whole bunch of things. The universe isn't expanding exponentially because science doesn't understand how that works, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, dozens of things science doesn't understand that I that I go into just to make the point that it's not a very good argument. However, that's all the evidence that I can think of. Um, science doesn't can't explain it. But again, sci the, the, the center of quantum physics is that reality is a wave and a particle. Physicists don't understand that. You look at it one way, it's a, a wave, or rather don't look at it. You look at it, it becomes a particle, and they're two very different types of behavior. And the famous physicist Richard Feynman said, it's safe to say that nobody understands quantum physics. Well, since quantum physics is the most, the best, the most accurate description we have of how the world works, what he's really saying is nobody understands how the world works. <laughs> so the evidence is we don't understand it, uh, we can't account for it, it's enough to give one pause. It's just limited in its uh, effectiveness because if you go down that road, there's just, you're going to have to eliminate most of how the Very world works, things. which, 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 you know, the most famous of physicists are up there in that road. And it's not just him, but all the major, if you listen to podcasts or books by all the major physicists, at some point they'll say, we don't have a really a clue as to how quantum physics works. Again, take that into how the world really works. Um, but that's the evidence I guess I would look to. Um, sure, there's some evidence that if you 
put me on a table and you anesthetize, you're going to have, you're going to affect consciousness by what happens physically. Mm -hmm. And the question is, but doesn't consciousness affect back within its own domain of influence what happens physically? It's not just influence to consciousness, it's both. So one could say, well, there's some evidence. We are subject to physical influence. They tap things in your brain while you're unconscious and you see this or you see that. Well, okay. Mm -hmm. But again, is it influence or is it causation? We are subject to bodily influence. There's no question. That doesn't mean that bodily influence isn't subject to our consciousness. It also raises the question of contemplation. Before I meditate and sometimes after I meditate, I contemplate. And it's usually on what I visualize mm -hmm. before or what I visualize during the meditation session. Sometimes I'll even contemplate on world events or just day-to-day -day things that happen. So it, when you explained the tests that were carried out earlier in our conversation and you mentioned the test subjects having a blimp after they had made a decision about a particular situation it, it doesn't really fit with the concept of determinism because it's not a set thought and what if someone lies or doesn't understand or perhaps they're indecisive you have the option or free will to think about your actions response finding out your why is is so important so finding out your <clears throat> why then shouldn't be an option in determinism well that, yeah it's another good point because it's a criticism a major criticism of those science tests is hold on a second you're measuring a little blip in the motor cortex which has to do with uh, motor muscle movements and you're applying this to, are you going to raise your finger? Or are you not going to raise your finger? Are you going to move your wrist or not move your wrist? And there's been a, a, a large criticism of those tests by saying, well, what does that have to do with real life decisions? It's such a limited context of decision. What if you're worrying about, should you take that job or not? Should you send your kid to that college mm -hmm. or not? Should you call your partner out on something that you think he might be cheating? but the books might actually be legit, but you're not sure. There's so many compli I mean, this is, you know, there's a billion complicated decisions that come about in your life. And the assumption of these tests is that um, a simple motor movement in a narrow laboratory context, uh, how could that be representative of the neural architecture that's going on mm -hmm. when you're yeah. debating and contemplating and thinking and all the things that you said that are happening while you're making a real life non-laboratory decision. Right. <laughs> That's a criticism. It's just, first of all, the tests don't even show what Harris and the determinists say they do. And second of all, if you're gonna use that as evidence that the world is determined and our thoughts are what our brain tells us, you better show that those tests are relevant to should I get a divorce? Should I punish my child? How should I punish him? Should I mention that possible indiscretion to my partner? And all the big decisions, whatever they may be that we have to make. What a, They don't seem like it's the same kind of beast or animal as uh, 
moving your finger in a lab pursuant to some test instructions. Now, there might be some commonalities in some basic uh, backbone kind of a way, possibly. But the people who are championing uh, that those tests represent, uh, we don't have free will, better, better hook them up to those everyday mm -hmm. decisions. So what you're saying about the complicated nature of decisions is 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 a very good criticism of of those tests when you're thinking about things. Yeah. That lift that's happening, you you even as lay people, we could probably say a lot more is happening. That that motor cortex blip, absolutely, absolutely, that, that sometimes maybe contributes to our moving a finger. Uh, mm. Well, it would contribute uh, even if we determined to move our finger. Uh, has anything to do with all that's going on in a real life decision. Mm. And I believe they're still trying to figure out the brain anyway. <laughs> oh, yeah. Isn't there always, <laughs> there's always new evidence, you know, there's just, how can you be so sure? But, um, well, that's the thing. Yeah. Determinism is based on being sure of a whole bunch of things that are anything but sure. And that's mm. what I learned about when I started, uh, investigating this, it felt wrong intuitively. And a number mm -hmm. of the arguments uh, he gave uh, were not logical or correct, but I didn't know enough as to say why. But we, as you said, we don't know so much. Again, the top physicists in the world uh, are saying that we don't understand how the most successful scientific paradigm works, which means we don't understand how the world works. We understand yeah. what it does to a larger degree than we did before the uh, last hundred years of the quantum revolution, but we don't know why. And there's so much that we can't explain. I gave a funny example in the book that, that I got from a famous uh, physicist. He said, we don't know how water freezes. And in an interview, and the guy says, what do you mean we don't know how water freezes? Or it might not have been an interview, it might have been a lecture. In any case, he says, um, we recently discovered that, that hot water freezes faster than cold water. Uh, and you say to yourself, well, wait a second, cold water is half the way there. How is that possible? How could hot water freeze faster than cold water? And physics doesn't know. So he says to his audience, and just, just when you thought physics was complete or that there was nothing else for us to discover, <laughs> we don't know why this happens. We don't know how water freezes or all about how water freezes, let alone, you know, these complicated subjects. And yet the determinists, you know, just act as if it's established that causation exists and it's established that we uh, uh, that we have to explain our actions. It's established that we have to be omniscient and omnipotent and control every single factor and so on. And there's just all of these presumptions that don't turn out to be the case. So I agree with you. There's a lot we don't know. Mm -hmm. And um, if you want to base a theory on that, it would be good to kind of go back and say, okay, these are my premises. Are they really solid? When I started investigating the subject, one premise fell away, then the next one fell away, then the next one fell away. The scientific mm -hmm. premise, wow, this blip determines became, that's not even what the tests conclude. So it, 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 at the end of the day, I, I ended up believing that I wrote the book because I was exercising free will because there, so far as we know, other than randomness, that's a whole nother topic, there's really no other viable alternative mm -hmm. since determinism doesn't work. It really opens a rabbit hole 
this whole topic. So what you've done is just, like I said, I've got so many things running through my head. And I suppose the other one I, I was interested in is you had mentioned it before, artificial intelligence. Do you think that there's a, there's a connection between determinism, I suppose, putting out there that we should be thinking like this as part of a transhumanism agenda? Now, that's probably very uh, conspiracy theory. So say a little more about it so that I understand picture well i kind of feel as if determinism in a way and even with what you've said about biochemical robots i feel as if we are coming into this new paradigm shift of transhumanism and artificial artificial intelligence is increasing and so what there's there's these ideas of getting microchips put in humans and there is some studies done that we have a connection to to energy and you know connections to mobile phones and you know we have a, a current in our body so in a way we are essentially a, a human mm. computer and mm. that's the the, the theory it's it is inevitable that we will go down the path of transhumanism and and artificial mm. intel- intelligence so determinism would be kind of essential for people to be thinking that way that they are controlled and that they don't have any free will so is trans um of the uh, 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 transformation from humans into more of the attributes of robots Mm -hmm. or is it yeah so combining the two and something new it's a philosophical and cultural position Mm. that encourages human advancement through technology so artificial enhancements in a way it's a a combination it combines the Mm. two in a way and eventually the human race will become Mm -hmm. reliant not only on technology around them but physically to survive will be connected to to technology in some way and yeah i think it's still in its infancy some countries have already started microchipping themselves i'm pretty sure sweden is has done that it was a few years ago uh, but i'm not fully uh, knowledgeable in that area and then we've even got elon musk who's doing his thing with experiments putting brain implants and monkeys with the the neurolink device and you know he's got monkeys playing mind pong with with their brains (laughs) isn't he already a robot (laughs) i'm probably thinking of somebody else (laughs) there's there's, i guess my answer would be no to everything you're saying to go back (laughs) there's a wonderful famous philosopher and I'm blanking on his name, contemporary. Uh, um, and hopefully I'll think of it and I'll email you and you can email your readers. But he has a couple of lectures on how we're not machines and how machines aren't us. And there's a complete difference between mm-hmm. uh, you know, thinking and computing. And um, they're really a good series of lectures because he he separates the confusions about all of this. Mm-hmm. and um they're really terrific and i apologize to you and your readers that i'm just blanking on his name okay. uh very famous uh philosopher 
um, and, and I'll get it as soon as we hang up. But um, no, I mean, they're completely different things. Mm -hmm. Thinking is not computing and computing is not thinking. And he, he gives a lot of reasons. That's not to say that there's an aspects of thinking that involve computations, but, but they're very different things. And he goes into why. And, and how, how there's a lot of mushing and confusing and twisting of all of this. So at least we, we, we have to keep them distinct. Um, yeah. yeah. I am, um, just to throw out a philosopher that I hugely admire, is Alan Watts. I don't know if that might have been the guy you're thinking of. Maybe not. No, but, yeah. but I know Alan Watts for sure. <laughs> yeah. Sure. He's, yeah. I know Alan, yeah. So, I know of um, <laughs> Same. I know of him. <laughs> Yeah, he's, he's so, very good in the domain that he talks about. He's terrific. He's amazing. Like he's just—I don't know anyone that can. You, well, obviously we're unique people. We can't mm -hmm. be the same. But yeah, I don't know anyone that can mm -hmm. beat Alan Watts. <laughs> if he you do, terrific. if you do remember, <laughs> if you do remember the philosopher you were talking about, um, please feel free to to let me know, and I can always add it to the descriptions, the podcast. But, yes, um, I, I will. Um, it's um, bugging me that um, a causal blip, blip in my neural synapses <laughs> is not letting me get at that answer. But Alan Watts, yeah, he was, I think he was one of the first guys who popularized Zen and brought a lot of the Eastern culture and spiritual traditions to, uh, to the West in the 60s and 70s and 80s. And I think everybody read uh, The Way of Zen, I think was one of his original seminal books and people didn't know about Zen. Mm -hmm. By the way, I have a couple of Zen koans in the book. Um, I thought oh, it really? uh, <laughs> Yeah, because uh, in, in my free will speak section where I sort of say what Harris says and then I say how you can't say that if it's a determined world and here's what you have to say. And one of his sayings was, um, mm -hmm we're not in control of our minds. Um, so I decided that was a, just a great ripe field for developing a couple of Zen koans. So I put them in as some humor, but also illustrative of how the concept is leads to absurd results. So I think one of them was, um, mm. if we don't control our minds, who is the mind that's saying that, you know, and I, uh, and um, uh, a couple of things that sort of played on that kind of a principle. Um, oh, I think the other one was, um, don't you have to be in control of your mind to say that we're not in control of our minds? So those are my two, those are my two, uh, <laughs> if, if, if you're confused by them, apologies, but I guess they're supposed to be confused as what's the sound of one hand clapping you know what's the uh what is a mind who's not in control saying <laughs> no <laughs> can they make sense can they make sense when they say we're not under anyone we're not being controlled so those were my 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 little alan watts contributions to the book. <laughs> that's fantastic and i, I suppose just to, to close out the segment is there anything that you would say to people as a um mm -hmm. i suppose as some self-help or encouragement to to think freely or use your free will i think i think really it, it so much of life has to do with overcoming our demons or or fighting our programming as you put it and um we have a lot of stuff to overcome 
uh, all of us are burdened with all kinds of influences that aren't necessarily, let us say, positive. So the concept and the feeling and the embracing of the idea that we have free will, I think, is in the midst of all that is the um, is the way to frame things so that we have a choice and we can do something about these things. Um, and I think it's a very empowering thing, and it's it's really the center of 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 human growth because it's the ability to grow as a human. So if you cultivate the the belief in free will, if you will, uh, or the uh, dedication to it, or the idea that it can do more things than you think it can, uh, at the same time you're also saying the flip side of it, which is you're saying. We're not as locked in as we think we are. We're not as determined as we think we are. We're not the as big of victims as we think we are. So I think that in itself, it, it's sort of the core of going in the right direction of improving ourselves and becoming better people, um, improving the world, helping others. Um, all of self-growth, I think, means nothing if there's no such thing as free will, right? We're just doing right. what we're caused to do. We have nothing to do with it. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that that really celebrating, if that's the right word, the concept of free will is really celebrating our power and ability to overcome um, resistance and, and uh, accomplish more and, and, and have more influence over our faith. Mm -hmm. I'll put it that way. Absolutely. That's fantastic, David. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I, yeah, it could, I've, there's just so much more that you just want to cover because it does open up so many different <laughs> fields. But um, where can people find you? How can they get your book? And um, yeah, what are your, your medias, your social medias? My website is called biochemicalrobots.com. The book, Are We? really chemical, uh, biochemical robots um, is on Amazon and about, but don't buy it. It's a rare sure. thing for to hear an author right. say, right? Don't <laughs> buy the book. Um, in about two or three weeks, I'm coming out with a new edition uh, and it's a workbook and it's an illustrated version of the book with some wonderful illustrations that a talented artist did that follow along with the text. Um, mm -hmm. It's a more uh, digested version of the concepts to go along with the, and, 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 and I think it's a, a fun introduction to a topic that, that is sometimes thought to be academic and complicated and everything. And I try to distill it mm -hmm. down to um, some fun stuff with questions about what did you learn from the chapter and, and key questions going into the chapter and um, um, and then really trying to graphically illustrate some of the con concepts and some to just illustrate it in a fun way. So that'll be about two or three weeks and that's um, and then I have a companion edition of the original book, the larger, more serious version, if you will, uh, that would come mm -hmm. out alongside the workbook, uh, workbook. they mesh together. So in about two to three okay. weeks on Amazon, uh, we'll have the, the new one. And um, um, I'm excited about it. I think it, it really came out well. It, came, it really, I think, accomplished what I was trying to. And I think people will like it. 
Uh, I think I might have sent you mm. some advanced stuff on it. And if I haven't, I will. Uh, you did. You did. And I, I think it was so important. It's workbooks. I think a lot of people think workbook, they have to work. And, you know, but I enjoy them because it makes you question what you've actually read and it helps you make a decision for yourself too. So anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah, it's not much work. <laughs> it's, it's a... <laughs> It's a non-work workbook. <laughs> it's really just to talk about the subject in more interesting ways. Mm -hmm. um, so in about two weeks, that should be on Amazon. Um, and then we have a, a Twitter and Instagram uh, site that will be re-geared for the, uh, the workbook. Well, thank you. And I love what you're doing for humanity. Thank I you. think it's so important to have more people that uh, you know, writing about these things and, and questioning as well and debating giving another point of view because I feel as if the more perspectives and beliefs out there the more people have that option to decide for themselves and take the initiative to actually research these things before saying oh this person's famous and so I agree with it or you know, I think that happens a lot someone hears something and they take it as the truth rather than delving into it you know taking that dive into plunging into the the understanding of what it actually is rather than taking someone else's opinion so it's fantastic that you wrote a book and and uh, we need other voices on this topic because the 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 people who are out there visibly talking about it are virtually all determinists <laughs> one or two exceptions but but uh we need more voices to give that other perspective oh fantastic people need to hear that other perspective yeah absolutely all right well i'd like to thank you for your time i've enjoyed this conversation and like i said i'm down the rabbit hole again i'm gonna have to get back into the books and start uh <laughs> researching a bit more but i i'm absolutely 100 with you i believe free will and um I'm going to do some more contemplating on some of my influences in my life. So thank you. I think you've actually helped me cool. a lot just in this conversation. But I look forward to your oh, book coming you. out and I'd love to read it. So I'm definitely going to be looking out for that. So thank you for the time and all the best. Oh, thank you and all the best to you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation and I hope you got some really good takeaways from it. And remember people, have an open heart, have an open mind, live your life and be free. Thanks for tuning in.